Welcome to Tasty Deep Dives, the podcast that discusses sustainable food. I am Catherine, and I am joined by my co-host, Isabella. Hello. We want to inspire others by sharing stories and information from farmers, producers, distributors, consumers, scientists, nutritionists, and much more about their views on sustainable food production and the scaling up of sustainable and organic food. Today, we had the pleasure to interview Melissa Korn, and she is the owner and founder of a company called Ig8 Culture. In English, that stands for I Eat Culture. And kind of in the search for her own cultural identity, she experienced that it can kind of be found through food. And what she does is so inspiring and so cool. She really connects people through stories about food. And、uh, it was a very inspiring conversation. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, I really agree.、Um, when we started out with the podcast, a friend told us that you should really talk to Melissa. She's an expert when it comes to food and identity and culture. And、uh, yeah, to be honest, to me, it was not very clear what her company was about up until this talk. But yeah, indeed, the interview was super inspiring, and in essence, she brings people together around the theme of food. And she's also very passionate about making food more sustainable. So that's a bisha that a career、uh, to be jealous of, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. When she was talking about how she,、um, you know, kind of changed career paths and started this company, I was just thinking, wow, that is something I would love to do—to just really be able to work with people, connect with people, and connect about food and eat food. Two of the <laughs> things that I love the most. So, yeah, please enjoy this conversation with Melissa Korn. Hey Melissa, thank you so much for joining us.、Uh, we are super excited to have you here on Tasty Deep Dives.、Uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. An honor to be here. First, I think, could you just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your background? Sure.、Uh, well, my name is Melissa, and I have my own company. It's called Ik Eet Culture in Dutch, which means I eat culture. And I've been working in food now for more than ten years, I think,、uh, mainly organizing events and programs around food and sustainability. And in the last couple of years, I've really focused on culture more and more. And that was From the beginning, actually, the reason why I wanted to work within food, I studied something completely different. I studied architecture,、mm-hmm. uh, but、oh, when、wow. that all fell down, like more than ten years ago, in an economic crisis, I thought, well, I might as well just do what I love, which is organizing things around food. And basically, the the idea behind that was especially because of my Indonesian background. I saw that food had a completely different meaning. Than it had within other than other people had, especially when I used to study people. <laughs> it was mainly guys that I was living with. They were eating like everything in five minutes, <laughs>、uh, and I thought, well, I've been brought up with a completely different idea about food.、Uh, I want to share that with other people, and I think other people see that as well. So that's how I started. And and what do you try to accomplish with Ig Eat Culture? Why I started it is because I think that. Food is a really important means, basically, to see people. So what I really want to do is have food as a way of seeing people, because I think everybody loves food and everybody loves to talk about food, and it really it can show you a way of of showing who you really are.、Mm-hmm. Uh, so before, for example, when I'm on holiday, well, of course you talk to locals as well, and I really love how how talking about food can give you a perspective on. 
how people are living, uh, what they do in their daily lives. But even if you really dig into it, you get an idea of what the landscape looks like, get an idea of what they eat on a daily basis. I think food is, for me, it's the most important thing to really get to know each other. Cool. And so if I were to look up your website, how would I be able to like get involved? Like, do you host events or, or, you know, can I host like a dinner party with your company or or how does it work exactly? Uh, Well, up till now, I've been uh, organizing mainly events for other companies, for instance, for Felix Meritus, but also for Playful Compass. So it's more for professionals who eventually invite individuals like you, for example. But I think that hosting a dinner party, I mean, I would totally be up to it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's note it. And for example, uh, a company or an organization that that finds your website and hires you, what what do they want to accomplish with with Aid Culture at their event? Well, I think mainly getting an, a perspective on what I think. I think in general, I think especially now, uh, after Black Lives Matters, like the entire the, the big wave. I mean, the wave is still riding, but uh, after the big wave, I think the importance of diversity is super clear, and the idea of seeing food and the food system through other eyes instead of only sustainability and sustainability for the wealthy, I think that's that could be one of the drivers for my clients to to engage with me and to organize programs that involve people that have an, another perspective on this matter. Yeah, it's very cool. And, um, you know, so we're in the Netherlands, of course, and the Dutch food culture, for me, it's uh, it's obviously different than American food culture. And, you know, <laughs> we just celebrated Thanksgiving in the U.S., so that's obviously a huge, like, cultural celebration of food. How do you decide or how do you incorporate, like, which cultures or with which, you know, nationalities you're going to include in the food? Does it kind of come from the client or does it come from you? It mostly comes from me. And it really depends on what kind of story you want to tell. And for example, the last assignment I did was for Low Food. They asked me to organize a symposium that was uh, the 21st of November. And they basically said, well, you can pick any topic you like, but just let us know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, And it, it has to be about Dutch food culture. That's what what low food is about, about Dutch food culture, making it more sustainable and more inclusive. And then picking the right topic is key to achieve your goal. So I chose the topic of uh, spices because I think it's a topic that many people can relate to from all over the world. So that's mainly where it already starts. Getting the right angle and and, um, a topic that everybody can relate to is really important. And then the next step is not necessarily to cover all the influence that are present in the Netherlands because that would take a festival for days to do that. But getting the right angle to get people to start talking about something that's really the aim for me as a program maker, basically. And do you think that comes through stories? What exactly? Like, you know, you said like to be able to to start the conversation or to have people to connect. For you, do you think that that starts with a story or, you know, kind of how do you engage people or at the symposium when there's a hundred people? How do you get interaction with people? Stories are a really important part, but also knowing how to connect that story to the audience that's the most important thing Mm -hmm. because people can tell their stories but if they can't relate then they then it won't they won't absorb the information 
kind of, in a way. So what we did, for instance, at the symposium was, it was about spices. And the first question that the host asked uh, to the moderators, what's your favorite spice? And they really had to keep in mind that uh, that favorite spice. And by the end of the symposium, we asked, okay, um, what is your next question about this spice? For instance, the host itself said, well, aniseed is something I eat. I ate it this morning. Um, it comes in a package. It's in my in my kitchen cupboard. But eventually, at the end of the day, she said, well, hmm, "I actually don't know how it gets there. Do I know who farms it? Do I know what the plant even looks like?" Uh, that's really a way of sparking also people's imagination. That's the main goal when you want people to interact. Yeah, we are so there's such a distance between uh, food and people sometimes. Whereas everybody has yeah a favorite food, a favorite spice, and definitely a basic interest in food. Uh, everyone because you eat it every day. Exactly. And do you think that for you, you know, part of your your drive to start this company or, you know, to keep going and telling these stories, you know, you mentioned is is to be able to connect with people and see people kind of at their core, which you believe is what, you know, with food. Like what inspires you to want to see people at their core? Well, I think in this society where the, where the white gaze is still very dominant, I had really, at some point, I really had the urge to discover other parts of myself as well. My Indonesian background, for instance, was really important, but because from a young age, I really struggled with questions around my Indonesian background. And I really noticed that people didn't understand why I am here or why my parents or my grandparents are here. Well, when I read the history books, it's very obvious and also because my family told me but because that wasn't told or at least not the entire story people were really questioning that so really seeing people at their core and seeing more than what we see just at first glance I think it's really important to really connect with each other because that's the only way connecting with people is really the only way that we can make this world a better world I think that's so special yeah I couldn't agree more and also when then you when you relate it to food you know like what comes to my mind right away is that it's such an easy way to connect with people mm, is yeah. over a, a, a meal or dinner or cooking together. Um, and not even necessarily that you have to talk about food, but that, you know, that's kind of like the instigator to be able to connect with people. So, but also just since it's been COVID, how have you adapted your business, if at all, um, during COVID and with the lockdowns? With the luck, well, it was a challenge to really adapt, but I think my work has mainly shifted a little bit more towards research and less aimed on events. And that's also what I really, I love organizing events, but the downside to it is that it's it's only just one day or maybe a couple of days and then it's gone. And if you weren't there, then yeah, well, you're lost. Basically. You missed it. <laughs> you missed it. So I always, when I organize events, I always really try to look or ways on how we can make it tangible so that we can share it later. Creating publications, even making sure there's a photographer, but really trying to find a way of capturing the day with a photographer that is more than just talking heads on a picture. Next to being there at the event, that's the second best thing of an event, or having the, the printed menus, or when that comes in, I'm like, oh, yes, this is going to be real, because... Sometimes you're organizing it for months and then you'll just have to wait. You still have to wait for it. Uh, so that's always the fun part, making publications and making it really 
tangible is a, is a really important part of it. And I, the focus of that goes more and more to that as well. And what are you focusing your research on now? Now doing an assignment for Flavor Compass, which have asked me to research and interview people uh, with a migration background on what they eat and what their children eat, so different generations, and to see if that changes from generation to generation. So oh, for wow. instance, I think my way of eating and how I do things is already completely different than my grandparents did, for instance, and that is influenced by, by migration, by being here and by rooting here as well. You start eating differently and you get to know things, know other things. So it's really interesting to see through these in- interviews how things change or don't change to yeah. see how it evolves. And what, uh, what is a big change that you notice in, in the way you are eating in compared to the previous generation in your family? Well, I guess the biggest thing or the biggest challenge for me is with Indonesian food to understand the language of Indonesian food. And that sounds a little bit fake, maybe. Um, but what I mean by that is that I was brought up, uh, my, my mom, she, she cooked Indonesian food. And my, when my grandmothers lived, they always also cooked Indonesian food for me. But my mother also cooked a lot of European Dutch things, mm-hmm. which are mostly easier. And there's always a really special sphere around, around Indonesian food and that it's hard, for example. Well, when I cook it now, it's not necessarily hard, which is just me to understand how the language of food works. So for example, when you want to add something acidic, something sour, you know in European food, you need to add vinegar. But in Indonesian food, it can be tamarind, for example, or limes. So really getting to know uh, how you play with food and how you cook, that's the, I think the main challenge for me as somebody who has Indonesian roots, but isn't in the country itself. And how do you see previous generations versus kind of generations now? And is there a transformation to more sustainable food or, you know, more organic food? Or what do you see in that realm? Well, first of all, the funny thing is that the the generations who migrated there, they're sort of first generation migrants. They're really proud usually when their kids do that their kids eat uh, the traditional food right. but when I ask okay do they cook it as well they're like oh no 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 that's a shame no they don't or maybe <laughs> one daughter does but the others don't so really sharing that food culture that's all that clearly is already a challenge yeah and I think and I think one of the big challenges in that is that you don't understand the ingredients like I just said when you're not there in the country itself so so it's really difficult to understand what to do with all those ingredients they seem kind of magical and doing their own thing but you really need to understand them to get a grip on them yeah uh, but is it is that also something uh, difficult to combine like the movement to eat more sustainable healthy but also local versus the need to sustain a certain food culture to import spices and other products from faraway countries well i think there's some there's a balance in there because i mean spices yes they come from afar 
but I think that in like absolute weight in a in a dish, there there's not much spice needed to get that identity of the dish, dish across. But other ingredients like fresh produce that can be a challenge. But I think a lot of them also already are uh, farmed here in the Netherlands. For instance, last couple of weeks a couple of weeks ago somebody said to me oh well i don't eat uh, pak soy because that's very unsustainable because it comes from afar well it doesn't it can, <laughs> it can be grown here really easy so there are vegetables especially that can be grown here super easy and i think it's a good thing that we're trying to see if we can get things from closer instead of from afar but that doesn't mean it tastes the same though that's the mm. thing that we have to take care of. How do you see the connection with, you know, how you said like soy doesn't grow in the Netherlands, but of course it does. Or also with meat, you know, like how people maybe are over, have over consumption of meat because they're not necessarily connected to the animals. How do you find that, you know, getting closer to the ingredients, does it increase your connection to the food? Or, you know, how do you see that connection? Getting closer to the ingredients, not only I think gets me closer to the food, but also to the culture and the country itself. Yeah, well, and actually what you just said, do you, you know, it gets you closer to the, the country itself. Do you think it's possible to get closer to the culture of the food when you're not in the country? Or like, how do you replicate that culture? Well, I think I can't exactly replicate culture, just like my mother and grandmother also didn't. I think that's, that's also really clear, really clear in, in Dutch language, at least, because there's Indonesian food, there's Dutch food. But in Dutch, we also have the word Indies, uh, which basically is a mix of the two. So there it also, there you all already see that there's a mixture of both cultures. And I think that if... I would uh, share the culture with my daughter. That would already be a mixture of a little bit from there and a little bit from here. And that's okay mm. because cultures evolve. But I think that always something from there, from far away, will will get will get in there anyway in the culture. So if we talk a little bit more about sustainable food, like you, you obviously talk about culture with food, but there's also a whole aspect about the availability of it or like inclusivity of sustainable food. And, you know, if you talk about how organic is better, organic is also more expensive or some people can't, I don't have access to organic food. What is your take on like the communication with the sustainable food movement and how can we make it more inclusive for everybody? Okay, let's start with the things that I that I'm a bit bothered by or find difficult at least. I think that's and that is changing luckily, but for years the sustainable food movement was really about local and really pricey things, as if it also was a new thing. Well, for a lot of people it's not a new new thing, it's more of a necessity in other parts yeah. of the world. Eating less meat is for some people a necessity and eat, and also uh, maybe also therefore eating more healthy. So I'm really glad that the sustainable food movement is really changing to a more inclusive one in if it comes to uh, about really sharing what we eat. I think there are dishes in the Indonesian kitchen that use a lot of tempeh or tofu that are you can really eat Indonesian food well without eating meat necessarily. And what does inclusive or inclusivity mean to you? Well, inclusivity means having everybody at the table. 
that's basically it. Mm. Having equal amount of power and everybody at the table. That's what inclusivity is about, if you ask me. Yeah. And do you think that the sustainable food industry is is there? No, far from it. <laughs> there are a lot of big companies who are st- who still have way too much power. Um, but I think that also more and more new companies are arising who are claiming their power. And, and also, I think mainly seeing the, the value in their, in their products as well. But mm-hmm. it's a tricky one because... Eventually, it all comes down to a very capitalistic system, mm-hmm. which is driven by growth and money. So, yeah, how can you really make a sustainable uh, food system if these values are at their core? Yeah, it's interesting. I was uh, discussing about how McDonald's is starting to serve vegan burgers because it's a, it's a step forward. But at the same time, you know, maybe not like they, they're this massive corporation, obviously very capitalist, like making a lot of money all over the world. So I think it makes a huge statement that they do have vegan menu or vegan items on the menu. And of course, somehow it makes it a bit more inclusive if it's at a lower price point. But I'm curious what, what your thoughts are about that. About uh, McDonald's having a vegan burger? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, if we think of it as less meat, then it's a good thing. But I think it's also very driven by a trend that they can capitalize on. So from that point of view, McDonald's maybe shouldn't be patting themselves on the back that no. much. <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, but when it comes to these big uh, companies, corporations, do you also think that regulating them more uh, could be a like a step in the right direction? Well, it depends who makes the policy. Yeah, true. That should be inclusive. Yeah, because I think a lot of it, I think that a lot of the regulations are put in by really good intentions, but often you see now the results of policies that are set up with the best intentions, but really are not getting to the core of the of the problem. Um, so for instance, uh, where there are health campaigns, uh, people should eat less sugar and of course should drink less soda, or whatever. But if you're, if you don't have much money to spend and you can make your kid happy with a McDonald's burger because you cannot afford the like organic fancy burger, then you're happy that you could do at least something for your kid. I mean, a lot of people are doing it for good intentions as well. So shaming the people that are giving their kids a one euro burger from McDonald's is not the right way, I think. Yeah, so actually not putting too much um, responsibility with consumers. Yeah, that's really important. But I think we we cannot tackle the problem just from one angle. We have mm. to do, do it all together. Yeah. So yeah. I cannot really pick a side. That's basically what I'm saying. Yeah, and so, you know, kind of saying that, like, I agree, I think we all have uh, a part to play in this. What part does IC8 Culture have in it? And how do you see kind of your company helping push this movement forward more with sustainable food? Well, I think sharing the stories that have not had, did not have as much attention as they have before. I think that's my main contribution. I think that diversity is really key in finding the solutions for a better future. 
Yeah. What is your dream for the future? Not only for eight culture, but for sustainable fo food in general. Well, definitely having more delicious food. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think that's the main thing. If we can find a way of eating sustainable and delicious at the same time, that would be the dream come true. I agree. And what's your most uh, sustainable and delicious Indonesian recipe? Ooh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's a difficult one. But the most sustainable as well. I'm thinking right away of something with tempeh because I love fried tempeh with some, like a somagoring tempeh. It's mm -hmm. a really common dish here in the Netherlands as well. Uh, but there are so many, so many dishes and so many spices and herbs that you can use to to make your tempeh even more delicious but start by frying tempeh and you're already really happy <laughs> and a plate of rice i mean and a little bit of sambal then you could make you could wake me up for that in the middle of the night <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice i love that so we have three <clears throat> questions that we ask always at the end of, of the episode the first one is what is one thing that an individual can change today to help make an impact to help make an impact for a better future Yes, related to food. Go to a toko and start asking where the products come from. And where do the products come from most of the time, actually? I've never asked at my toko. Uh, well, it depends on what you buy, but I think a lot of the produce comes from the Netherlands mostly. And a lot of the prepackaged, like processed foods, they usually come from abroad. I think that people are inclined to ask at their when they are buying vegetables uh, at their at their own shop or know what 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 the food comes from when they're at the Albert Heijn. But the Toko is is like a mystery shop to people, and it seems like people like to keep it that way. But I think that people could ask more questions. That's really funny, actually. You totally like you totally nailed it. When I go to the Eco Plaza or Albert Heijn, I'm always wondering where does the produce come from. When I go to the Toko, I don't even second guess it. That's <laughs> very true. Which I don't know why. Now that you meant, now that you brought my attention to it, it's uh, it's funny. So that is something I will start doing. Yeah, hey, me too. Definitely. Uh, okay. So then the second question is, what was the last thing that you ate? Tofu and noodles. <laughs> actually, nice. just ate yeah. it last night. Delicious. Nice. Um, and the last one, uh, what is something that you struggle yourself with in food and sustainability? Eating less meat and not eating the meat dishes my mom makes. Mm. I've decided I'm just going to eat them. Have you tried to be a vegetarian or even vegan in the past? Yes. And we eat at home mostly vegetarian. Uh, at home, it's really easy. But when my mom makes chicken soup or like soto ayam, the Indonesian chicken soup, I just cannot deny it. And I'm not gonna, <laughs> gonna torture myself by denying it. It's too <laughs> delicious. And I pre appreciate it too much to uh, not to eat it. So mm -hmm. I'm just gonna have it and I'm gonna really, really enjoy it. Because that's one of the other things I think we do too much for shaming each other, too much for what we're eating and what should, should be sustainable and not sustainable. Let's just make sure that what we eat, we really enjoy. Then we're already a step further. It's like what you said, the, the balance between delicious food and sustainable food. And I think the connector between those two is what you just mentioned, is really enjoying it. And if you're going to have the chicken soup, just enjoy every sip. <laughs> Excellent. Nice. Well, this chat was awesome. Thank you so much, Melissa. Thank you.